captivity, a reference to uh, their return as one, uh, that they're going to be no more north and south. Uh, that's what it's saying there in verse 3. The rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. It's not going to be a northern and a southern kingdom anymore. It's going to be one. It could also have a broader, further reading, uh, there, re further reaching fulfillment there, as many prophecies do. Uh, it could also be looking beyond the cross to the day of Pentecost uh, when, when the Jews and the Gentiles uh, gathered to become one, to become the church. And so the remainder, the remnant, those from outside. Uh, and so it looks to the creation uh, of the church, both Jews and Gentiles, those who, who know salvation of God through Jesus uh, Christ as our Lord, whether you're Jew or Gentile. So God leaves this remnant of redeemed people in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament among the other nations as a testimony to his grace, to his provision, to his power, to his victory. So we saw the promised kingdom, we saw the deliverance, we saw the promised victory, we saw a promised king. Now we're going to see what is, what is all these promises leading to. Here's what we see it's leading to in verse 5 down through the end of the chapter. The results of the promises. So as he continues to view this distant scene, Micah gives them three results of these promises. One, your enemies are going to be defeated. That's a... We know judgment's coming. He's told us but our enemies are going to be defeated. So verse 5, the second half, down through verse 6, goes on to say, When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Now, the Assyrian named in verse 5 it isn't just the Assyrian army of Micah's day because the, the Jews in that day certainly didn't defeat Assyria. They didn't rule over her land. In fact, they were defeated. Uh, the, the northern kingdom was, even the southern kingdom as uh, they were attacking them. The Assyrians had soundly defeated both uh, of those areas. They just hadn't captured uh, Judah at uh, Jerusalem at that point. Uh, the word Assyrian there is another way of saying the enemy. And so here it's referring to Israel's enemies, not just in, in that particular moment then, but a hundred years later, who would be the Babylonians, and, a and even beyond that, the other enemies that they would have through time and eternity, especially to the last days, when all nations are going to gather against her. When you read that phrase, seven shepherds and eight leaders, it's a way of saying many shepherds and many leaders. It's similar to the statement that Amos used over and over in his message for three transgressions and for four. Uh, it's just a, a, an, uh, an idiom, uh, a saying that they would use. So seven shepherds, eight leaders. There's going to be uh, many shepherds, many leaders. So when the enemy attacks in the last days, he's saying God is going to raise up leaders to face the enemy, just like he raised up the judges, just like he raised up the heroes like David. But Micah makes it clear that God is the one who's the deliverer. It's God who's going to enable <clears throat> Israel to defeat her enemies and rule over their land. So the he of Micah 5 verse 6 is the same ruler that he's talking about in verse 2. So who is that? Who is he talking about in verse 2? Jesus, the Messiah. So he's saying in verse 6, the he of verse 6 is the same as verse 2. So it's going to come through God himself. 
uh, in Jesus Christ. And we read that when we read uh, the prophecies in the book of Revelation and in other places even in the Old Testament. The second result of the promises is this. The remnant, those who are left, will be blessed. Notice verse 7 uh, down through verse 9. So verse 7 says, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples like a lion among the beasts of of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver Uh, Verse 9 says, Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And so even though they're a small in number little town and little place here, this Jewish remnant even uh, of the last days that will be in the final last days, uh, will experience a great help from the Lord as they face their enemies. Micah uses a couple of similes here to illustrate that blessing. He said it's going to be like a refreshing dew from heaven uh, and the conquering strength of the lion. That's the two illustrations that he uses that God's going to enable his people to overcome like lions and then he's going to bring fruitfulness to the world like the dew that watered Israel's crops Uh, Israel is going to triumph over her enemies uh, through the power of God Uh, the thing we need to learn even for us as we're part of God's children is that we need to be a blessing to those around us as Israel is uh, to be to the world also our continued presence as the church ought to bring refreshment like dew and rain. So think of all the church, uh, all that the church is and all that the church does. Think of what it has done in, it, throughout history in terms of caring for the world. Uh, and and began, it began with believers trying to make sense of God's creation and to serve each other. Uh, we're to be the salt uh, and the light in this dark world. So the church is to be God's blessing to the world. The coming of Christ, his salvation, uh, the forming of God's chosen people is all part of God's fulfillment of this promise that even went back to Abraham. And then the final part that we see that happens here is the nation will be purged. You go down to verse 10, down through verse uh, 15. And in that day, talking about that last day, the last days, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nation that did not obey. In Micah's day, both Israel and Judah were guilty of sins that violated God's law, sins that grieved God's heart. And time after time, God sent his messengers to his people to condemn their sin, to warn of the judgment, but the people still wouldn't listen. So he says, in the last days, Israel's going to return to their land in unbelief. They're going to practice the same sins, and we see that when you look at the history of Israel. But God is going to purge the land one day and he is going to prepare them for a new life in the kingdom. He is going to set up his kingdom here on this earth and they will one day see their Messiah and they will one day trust him and be saved. We as Christians need to keep looking also to the return of Jesus Christ who's coming to gather his people to himself and to establish his righteous kingdom. Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, And verse 10 and verse 11, he says, The day of the Lord 
will come as a thief in the night. So we need to always be looking. And then in light of that, he says, therefore, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? If Jesus is coming again, why aren't we living like he's coming again? Future hope ought to produce holiness in our lives. The question is, are we ready for his return or not? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. What a powerful word and an encouraging word, but yet a sober word of the fact that Jesus is coming again. And he is coming to set up his kingdom once and for all. And Father, I pray that when that day comes, may we be ready. Lord, I pray that we'll make sure that uh, we're ready by being faithful now, not waiting till that day to be ready, knowing that if we're waiting, we don't know when that day is going to come. So Lord, I pray that we'll be faithful every moment of every day, serving you, following you, living for you, loving others for you. Lord, that you would use us to be a witness to this lost and dying world so that when we do one day stand before your throne, we could stand with a clear conscience, knowing that we did everything we should have done, we said everything we should have said, we gave all we should have gave. And Father, I pray that you would use us in whatever way that you will in the days ahead to bring glory to your name and may you bring good into our lives. Watch over us, Lord. Keep us in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you again for those who joined us there online. Thank you for being here with us tonight. We'll be back again Sunday, uh, 915 for Sunday school. So come and join us in person if you can. Uh, there is seating down here on the lower uh, level for you still. Uh, we, we encourage you to come. Uh, but we'll be online at 1030 for our worship service. So you join us there. If you can't be here in person, you have a blessed week. You have a safe week. And we'll see you this coming Sunday.